I want to uh, continue this morning in our, our called series, and today's going to be something that, that is, is super practical. We've been working on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the Sermon on the Mount was, is, is a very bold thing. Jesus is he's, he's speaking to a crowd full of people. A lot of them, there are those there that don't like him. There are those there that are to- totally against him and, and really have, have come at him. And today we're going to specifically talk about something that I think think is, is really one of those incredibly practical. Like this is, this is street level Christianity. And I don't think there's anybody in here today that isn't guilty of this, including me. And, and we, we all do this. We all wish we were better at it. And it's something that we, that we can uh, really see the hand of God on our lives. And you hear this phrase all the time. Think about how often you've heard, whether it's TV, whether you hear friends, I, I probably hear it at least two or three times a week. I will hear somebody say, usually even in, in a, a joking fashion, and sometimes not, that you'll hear this, well, I'm not judging. You'll hear it all the time. Oh, I, I, I'm, or, or don't, no, we're not, we're not to, to, to judge, right? Well, let, let, me, let me tell you the, the reality of that, okay? The reality is you judge all day, every day. You make assessments. Your brain was wired. God made you to make judgments. He created you to have the ability to judge, to, to, to see and to, to discern. And so, but we all know what that means. It's, it's, it's different than, than what it would mean literally. Today, I'm going to talk to you about in the Sermon on the Mount, something that Jesus dealt with that I think is probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of Christianity. And, it, and I, I, I don't normally do this, but I, t- I titled it uh, really in the form of a question. Do I have the right to judge? Do I have the right to judge? And the short answer is absolutely. Absolutely you do. Okay? But it's going to be how. Right? It's about how. It's about what, what does that mean? Because it's so distorted in today's pop culture. So we're going to read Matthew 7. If you've got a Bible, uh, it's Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the first gospel. If you're on a device or if you're there at home, uh, you know, at, for all of you that are, that are watching, uh, we've, uh, I've been told we've got massive, massive crowds in Indonesia. And I want to say hello to everybody there. Uh, that was a pretty good joke, I thought. No, y'all didn't. But um, maybe there's, if you're in Indonesia, we're for you. Uh, hang in there. It's a tough country. There's, that's no lie. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, here we go. Jesus said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? By the way, if you were a Hebrew, this is like a straight up awesome joke. You, 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 it, it doesn't translate in, a, in American, but like Jews would have thought this was awesome. I mean, because you got to think of the visual, right? You're, you've got a, a, a two by four stud coming out of your right eye. And so everybody you go, you, you smack them with it, right? So I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to say, hey, listen, I think you got like an eyelash or something. And you go, bam, you know, this was really funny. Okay. Not to you, obviously, but 
But it was, it was Jesus, Jesus had humor. And, and no kidding, this would have been a place where they would have been like, wow, stop it, you're killing me. This is really funny. All right. So he says, how can you say to your brother, hey, let, me, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we hear this all the time. Oh, I'm not judging or you're not, we're, we're not supposed to judge, right? Well, let, let's talk first for a second about, let's talk about what Jesus is not saying, okay? Let, let's frame it up for a second in the negative. Let's talk about what Jesus is not saying. Because I, I do believe this is one of the most distorted, twisted, and really maligned uh, verses that, that pop culture has used uh, against, uh, try to, you know, to come underneath Christianity and, and, and really come at the, the bedrocks of some of our biblical understanding. So here's what Jesus is not saying. I would say right out of the gate, Jesus is in, in no uncertain way. He's saying never suspend your ability to evaluate truth versus error. Okay? We are never to suspend, put on hold our ability to evaluate truth versus error. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because the way pop culture uses this verse all the time is, you can't tell me that I'm wrong. You just can't tell me that. That's where we are in today's world. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Because if you notice, the, the same people that say that, they do want justice. They want justice for corporate greed. They want justice for things in this world that they think are unjust, except in their own personal lives. Now, that's off limits. You're not allowed to go. There. No, the Bible doesn't have like boundary lines. There's no barbed wire fences in scripture, right? So, so, there, that just, so if, let's, let me give you a couple examples of, of why Jesus is saying, don't suspend your ability to evaluate truth as opposed to error. Let me just give you two quick verses. Jesus, one of them was in John 7. Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So, so automatically, Jesus seemingly would contradict himself. No, he's obviously not talking about being judgmental. He's saying, when you do judge, when you do make an assessment, when you do call out something well, then do it with righteous judgment. There's another verse in, in Matthew 7. Look at what Jesus said about false prophets. He said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 15. You'll know them by their fruits. He's saying, be on the lookout. Know the difference. Know the difference. And so I, I want to say to you, friend, when it comes to this way that, that people use this, this verse today, and really, honestly, try to condemn many Christians that do hold to the word of God. You'll hear people throw this at you. Well, don't, you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. I'm, I want to say something to you, okay? All of you. And for all of those of you at home, maybe you're, maybe you're a student listening at home right now or listening to a podcast driving down the road at some point. I want to say, I want to say this to you. There is never a time in Scripture where we are given a hall pass to turn a blind eye to sin. Never. Because that would be dishonest. 
That would be dishonest. It would be, it would be dishonest for Jesus. In fact, it would be dishonest for Jesus to tell us never to judge and then go to the cross for sin. Those two don't make up for each other. Those work against each other. So there's never a time where we're to turn a, a blind eye to sin. But the way culture has used this verse, and let me tell you why this works so often on Christians, is because truthfully, if you look across the landscape of the American church, I'm not talking about Clearview, I'm talking about the American church. We live in a time that under the steeple, I believe, and I'm, I know many pastors would agree with me. In fact, I haven't had one pastor ever disagree with me on this. I believe that we are living in the most biblically illiterate church culture ever. Biblically illiterate. And so, as a result, what ends up happening? Well, we end up telling, the, the world ends up telling us how to interpret Scripture. And I want to say this to you, friend. Christians are never, listen to me now. Christians are never to allow a Christless culture to define the standards of Christianity. Never. That, that, that's never, that's never gonna, that's, that's never gonna happen, it never should happen. We are never to allow a Christless culture to define for Christians what the standards of Christianity should be. And so as a result, what happens is we end up tolerating all kinds of things. Well, who am I to judge? No, we are never. Jesus is not saying that you don't have the ability to reason, that you don't have the ability to evaluate. You know, we're told all the time right now that we're to be tolerant. I even hear Christians using that word. I want, I want to say to you, not me. I'm not. Now, I'm, I, listen, God never, gave you, God never gave you a license to be a jerk. Okay? The last thing the world needs is a theological jerk. In fact, theological jerks were in the crowd when Jesus was, was preaching this. They were the ones that were judgmental. So Jesus is hitting them in the nose, like repeatedly. Okay? I, I, used to, I, I had a very short career as a boxer. Um, it lasted way too long, um, even though it was short. And, and uh, one, one time uh, I, I got to spar with this guy that went to the Olympics. And that was a really bad mistake. And, and uh, he was older than us. And so he didn't hit us that hard and he would let us spar with him. But the problem with boxing Dwayne was that as soon as he would hit you and you realized he just hit you, he would hit you again. And then as your brain was interpreting that you just got hit, he would hit you again. And then, and then by the time you get hit five or six times and you're like, well, I'm getting hit. It's, it's, it's the weirdest feeling in the world, just getting punched. You know, it, it was a, the guy came in fourth. I mean, it's fascinating, this guy. And, and so Jesus was doing that to Pharisees, you know, because he's just tattooing them right on the nose because the, they're, ju they're so judgmental. That's not what we're called to be. We're not, but we're also not called to, to tolerate because in today's world, tolerance just means this. It means that you and somebody in your workplace can have radically different views and you don't hate each other. 
You talk. You agree to disagree. You're not disagreeable. It means you're not full of bitterness. It means that you're able to live a harmonious life. Maybe you've got a sister. Maybe, maybe you've got a cousin. Maybe you've got somebody in your family. You're just, you're just you know, you're metal on metal. But you can hang out at Thanksgiving and really not past Thanksgiving, but you can do Thanksgiving, you know, and get through it. No big deal. No, that's not what tolerance means today. Tolerance today means that you must not only come into contact with radically different views, you must embrace them. And if you don't, you're a bigot. You're hateful. You're anti-intellect. And many would even say, you're not even a Christian. We are never to allow a Christless culture to define the standards of Christianity for Christians. And so I want to say to you, friend, and I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it and forget to say it. God will never call you to be tolerant of any behavior that required the death of his son in order to redeem it. He will never call you to be tolerant of any behavior that required Jesus going to the cross to redeem gossip, to redeem bitterness. Jesus went to the cross so that people could get forgiveness for adultery. Jesus went to the cross so that people who are lost in sexual sin can have a path to redemption. Jesus went to the cross for people that have been victims and have had to find hope. Jesus went to the cross for sin. And God's never going to call you to tolerate that ever. So the, 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 the real question I think we're at this morning is what is the difference, right? What is the difference between, between judging and being judgmental? That's really what's going on here. Because Jesus, obviously, I just showed you just two quick verses where he said, no, you, you're to use value assessments. So, so what, what does it mean? The difference is being, ju- being judgmental versus judging, meaning in the most literal sense of the word, making an assessment. So how do I know so, you, so we're, I'm just, I, I could probably give you several, but I'm going to give you a few this morning. Here's a few filters, right? Here's a few indicators. Here's a few tests to know if you're being judgmental. Because judgmental, nobody wants to, listen, nobody wants to be a, a critic. You ever been around those that are just critics? You know, there's never been a statue erected to a critic. Think about that. So what's the difference between judging and, and being judgmental? When am I judgmental? Well, I'll give you a couple. Here we go. I'm judgmental when I make character assessments based on limited information. Now, I want you to soak that in for a minute. You're judgmental. I'm judgmental. I've done this, by the way. I'm not saying that to make you feel better about yourself. I've done this. You've done it. We do it all the time. You're judgmental when you make character assessments based on limited information, meaning that you you make an evaluation about somebody's character when you fill in the blank. You ever filled in the blank on somebody? Maybe you didn't like them. 
Maybe they were just, maybe they just do things that, you know, just don't jive with you. So when you fill in the blank, you end up being judgmental. I've done it. I'm telling you, we do it all the time, right? Because obviously what we heard on Facebook was the, was the, the real deal. You know, listen, man, I'm going to tell you, I gave you two little ways to evaluate this, and I kind of wrote them down in boxes. This is how we fill in the blank all the time. Never assume you know the whole story, and never assume you know someone's motive. See, we're judgmental when we think we know the whole story. I want to, I want to tell you guys something, okay? Now, I know you know this. I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you straight out. I've, in my, in my line of work, it is relational. It is people-driven. It is family-driven. It is occupational-driven. I mean, pastors and all, all of us on the Clearview staff, if you want to say it in, in the most street-level way, we are in the people business. And so all we do is deal with people and marriages that are fractured and kids that are going wayward, and somebody that's finally decided to deal with a sin they committed seven years ago. All we deal with is people that are hurt. I tell our staff all the time, churches are like hospitals for soul-sick people, and that's where you go to work every day. And that's what we do, and that's, what, that's the calling, and it's great. But I want to tell you something that I've learned all these years about dealing with people, you never, ever, ever know the whole story. Ever. And I'll tell you why you don't. Because people are really great at only telling you the parts of that story they want you to know. And it doesn't mean they're liars. I, I, it's not, in fact. If somebody asked me a long time ago, I wasn't even prepared for the question. I don't even know why we were talking about it. I was, I was talking to a guy one day, gosh, this was probably five or six years ago, and he said, Jason, of all the things that, that, um, that you weren't prepared for in ministry or all the things that, that frustrate you, what would be at the top of the list? And it's funny, I, I had an answer and I had never thought about it. I said, it's how much I get lied to. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I said, no, I don't think people are liars. But people withhold information. Because what they're afraid of is that if they told me the whole story, they would think that I think they're a bad person. And I don't. I think it was a stupid decision. But I mean, I've made those. Ask Michelle, no kidding. I mean, really. I I've made stupid decisions. But people are really afraid that if, if me or... Graham or Alexis or Brian, Jenny or Shane, Kim, John, if they, if they, if they knew. Oh, so, so what happens is when people come to you, they, they tell you parts of the story. And then all of a sudden, or hey, have you ever seen this happen? Happens every day in your life, right? People get on social and they say, I tell you what, I'm ne I, I quit my job today. I'm sick of the way they treated me. And then they get 87 comments, you go, girl, you tell them, right? You tell, you should, I told you seven years ago, you should never took that job, right? Now, what they left out was, 
You punched the CEO in the face and called his wife a name. Yeah, you should have got fired. You were mad, but they don't tell you that, right? Now, whoever did that last week, you need to take that post down, okay? I read it. I'm just kidding. I didn't read it. All right, that, that wasn't even a post. I made that up. Never assume you know the whole story. But I'll tell you something else that makes us judgmental. And I've done this, and if you're honest with yourself, you do it too. Never assume you know someone's motive. You know, we all think that when somebody does something we don't like, it may not even be to us, just something you saw somebody do. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what they were doing. They should have never done that. You don't know why they were doing what they were doing. You don't know why they were in that situation, and you don't know one one-hundredth of the facts that you think you know that drove them to that decision. So what happens is we end up being judgmental because we just fill in the blank and we just assume, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. It's, it's not going to work to your best interests. You know what? If you really care, if it really does bother you, let me tell you what to do so that you're not judgmental. Go talk to that person. And if you're not willing to go talk to that person about something they might have done that you didn't like, or, then you know what? If you're not willing to go, then stop talking about it. Because you forfeit your right to care. If it's got you all twisted up, you forfeit your right to care. If you're not willing to go to somebody and say, hey, tell me why you did that. Right? So there's such a thing uh, from time to time as pastoring from the pulpit. Right? I'm going to do that now. All right? I'm going to take a minute to, to do that. Because I want to tell you, churches, not just this church, all churches. So if you're feeling bad, if you're, gonna, if you're about to get your feelings hurt, it's not my goal. But also, every church does this. Because we're all, let me tell you something about Christians, including Jason. We are all part of the solution, and we all contribute to the problem. That's the truth. We really do. But churches are notorious for this. You know, we're a pretty big church. And there's times we're going to make decisions about personnel. There's times we're going to have to make decisions, and we're just not going to tell you everything. We're just not. You don't want to know all the time. I, trust me. You don't want to know. Sometimes... The best thing about your favorite restaurant is that you never see the kitchen. I'm, I'm telling you. Do you know, by the way, do you know, by the way, that's the hardest part for volunteers? Because when volunteers step into ministry leadership roles, one thing we often tell them is, or when they go serve on a committee, oh, that'll, if, if you've ever served on a committee and then you re-upped and have served again at any future date, God loves you and you're his favorite person. All right, And let me tell you why. Because you get to see behind the curtain. I tell staff that all the time, especially those that are support staff, that weren't called to ministry. They're just called to help clear view. One of the first things that me or Jennifer Helton or, or, or somebody else on our staff that's going to be working with them will say, are you ready 
for what you're going to see. Because there's a lot of great people here, but every one of them, including me, are broken people. And broken people break things. That's just the truth. Broken people break things. Because we're not in heaven yet. And so there's going to be times that you're going to see us make decisions and we're just not going to give you all the facts. We're just not. Because if we did, you wouldn't like it. And at the same time, when, when we do that, you're just going to have to trust that we're doing the. You know, one of the things I learned about people that on, on, the, on the senior level of leadership, by the time they bring a decision to the company or the 501c3 nonprofit you might be a part of, or by the time you're, maybe by the time your CEO or your vice president or your, or your CFO or even somebody here at church, regardless of the word you bring in, by the time they bring a decision to the group, let me tell you what they've done. If they're smart, this is what they've done. They've surrounded themselves with a lot of people. They've asked a ton of questions. They've done all the due diligence. And so they really have done the best they can do in the moment with the information they've got. And it's all you can do. It's all you can do. But what ends up happening, especially in churches, and this is what always fascinates me. No kidding. This is what really fascinates me. Is that people, people will hear about something small or maybe something large, and they'll just take that as the gospel truth about what really went down. And then they'll get mad, let's say, at me. By the way, this hasn't happened this week, so I'm not talking about any of y'all right now. I'm really not. I'm just, I mean, I don't have to have specific examples. I've got 29 years of them. I mean, no, no kidding. But what ends up happening is that people get mad or they leave Clearview or they leave people's church or, you know, or they are, that's not even there anymore. Um, it's uh, Church of the City. There we go. See, things change, right? They leave Brentwood or they, they leave Fellowship and they, they leave on partial knowledge. But you know what's fascinating? Is they never bother to come ask me. It's weird. It's really strange. If, you, if you're ever bothered about something at Clearview, listen, it's not hard. Walk up to me. Now, I may not answer it, and you might pout. I mean, I'm just being real with you. I might say, hey, I'm just not going to go into all that with you, but I love you a lot. And if you want to take me to Connor's and eat lunch, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? But I'm just not going to go into that. You know, I've literally had people say, I have a right to know. I'm like, no, you don't. And you're not. And that's just the reality of the situation. So, so what ends up happening in churches is we end up believing things and pieces of what we hear, and then we talk about it. And I want to tell you, there's a reason that the Apostle Paul talks about how gossip can rip apart a fellowship. So the best thing you can do, let me, I'm going to give you, I didn't really mean to go into all this part, but I'm going to, I'm going to think this is the anointing and I'm going with it. So let, 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 me, let me tell you, you have an, I mean it, I mean 100%, I mean it. In fact, I'm, I don't often use the word beg, but I'm going to, I'm going to use it now. I'm, I'm dead serious for all those of you that are listening at home or streaming. I'm going to beg of you on behalf of the kingdom of God, I'm not kidding, 
that if somebody comes up to you and they're talking about a situation in our church, whether it's about me or a decision the finance team made or a decision personnel made or a decision kids ministry made or something you heard about another family, let me tell you, the first thing out of your mouth should be this. Have you gone to that person? Because if you have not, you are asking me to sin. Do you know that? Go read Matthew chapter 18. You're asking me to sin if I walk into a conversation about somebody you're mad at, but you haven't given them the ability to go and talk about it together. That, in the words of Jesus Christ, is a sin against God. And I take that seriously. So if you really care, go to that person. If you're hurt, go to that person. If you're confused, go to that person. Because if you don't, what you end up being is judgmental. Because you're filling in the blank. Let me ask you, let me flip it around. Would you want somebody to fill in the blank about you? You ever had anybody fill in the blank about you? You ever had anybody make a character evaluation about you, but never talk to you about it? I have many times. And if you cut me, I bleed. I am not Superman. And neither are you. You wouldn't want anybody doing that to you, would you? Don't do that to people. Don't do it. it it's, it's, it's just not the way of Jesus. I'll tell you another way that we end up being judgmental at times. This is, uh, if you're not mad yet, you're going to be. Um, I would say it's this. I would say I'm judgmental when I spiritualize my preferences. So I'll, I'll give you an easy one. One of the things that we're all guilty of, and listen, I mean it, we're all, Jason Cruz is guilty of it too. The things that I like, I really do believe God likes. I'm serious. How could he not? Right? So it's, it's true. One, one of the ways you see it a lot is, I, I'll never forget, I was in my late 20s, and I was serving this church, and this fella came up to me. He was, uh, he was an older, older fella, and he, I'd really never seen him happy, and I'm not cutting on him. I, I, I just had never seen him smile. And, and he, uh, oh, man, he was twisted up. Um, because he did not like worship in the way we were doing it at all. Wow, he was mad. And, then, and he said, that music is not worshipful. And I said, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. And I said, we're, let's, you and I are going to talk. I said, who... When did God give you the right to decide what is worshipful and what isn't? Are you out of your mind? And I said, just because you don't like it, why don't you say that? I can take that. See, back, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that may be under 30, when I got started in ministry, the thing that was ripping churches apart in the late 80s and early 90s were what we called the worship wars. And churches were splitting you know, churches were splitting over 
old music and new music. I mean, splitting. When I was in seminary, not a week went by for those years at Southwestern that one of the students, a minister in the making, was not saying, please pray for the church I'm going through. We're about to lose 300 people. And it was typically over worship. Now, those days are gone for the most part. I mean, that, that's long. But that, in those days and times, it was a huge deal. And what, the reason people were getting so mad about that is because we've all got preferences. Listen, if we rolled out hip-hop in, at Clearview, I, I, I would have to, you know, try to find a, 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 I'd go to a different worship venue at our church. Or I'd say, hey, let's start one. I just don't like it. But that doesn't mean God doesn't like it. It just means Jason doesn't like it. And if Jason doesn't like it, it doesn't mean that I get to spiritualize my preferences. See, we really do. You and I have preferences. It's what, it's what, it's what makes us unique. I mean, we, we need to be unique. Listen, you guys, God made us different. He made us diverse. He made us like all kinds of different foods, all kinds of different music, all kinds of it's, it's. But what we want to do is we want to spiritualize that, and we want to make the Bible say, ooh, you're going to be in trouble if you do that. You're going to be in trouble, and you're going to be in trouble a lot. And I want to say something to you. When you start spiritualizing your preferences, I really believe that it is one of the greatest sources of Christian misery there is. Now, I want to make sure you didn't miss that. When you spiritualize your preferences, when you make your preferences somehow find their way into, you know, 1 Peter, when you do that, you are setting yourself up for intense misery. You really are. I hear people use this phrase all the time. And if you ever, and by the way, I've done this. I mean, I have, but I really watch it when I do it now. And when I do it, it sends up a flag. Well, hold on a minute. But if you ever catch yourself saying this, well, I don't think that God... 99 times out of 100, you're, you're, you're being judgmental because you're spiritualizing your preferences. You're just spiritualizing your preferences. Don't attach God's name to something you prefer. Did you, did you hear me? Don't attach God's name to something you prefer. Why don't you just be honest and say, I don't like it. I can take that. My gosh. There's all kinds of things I don't like. Ask me. I'll tell you. You know? But it doesn't mean that they're holy. They're just different. I'll give you an example of how this happens. And this is, a, this is an easy target in the church. But I'll tell you how this happens all the times. And, and I've seen it in ministry. Is we, you see a lot of, a lot of churches get, a lot of Christians in churches get, get really bent out of shape when it comes to the charismatic gifts listed in Scripture. Things like visions. And dreams, prophecies, speaking in tongues, what some would call gifts of the Spirit. And you have a lot of people that will say, well, I don't think God is for that. Well, you'd be wrong because the Bible doesn't say that. You just don't like it. So just say that. Now, I've never had the experience of speaking in tongues. Truthfully, just being straight up with you, I'd kind of like to. I would like to know what that's like. I'm serious. 
I would really like for it to happen to me one day. Never has. I told God, hey, if you ever want to do that, I'm game, you know, but it's never happened. But you can't look me in the eye and say it's not biblical because you'd be wrong. But it hasn't happened to me. I don't think I've ever prophesied either. You see, what we're afraid of is we don't prefer certain things, and so we attach God's name to it. Well, God's not a God of chaos. Well, let me tell you something. You're right. God's not a God of chaos. But don't call chaotic what he might call full of order. It's different. Who who am I to put my definition of order on his definition of order? So I would just say to you, Be really careful that you don't spiritualize your preferences. Let me tell you how to get around that. It's really simple. Don't base your Christian foundations on what you think. Base them on what the Bible says. Because what the Bible says is the only thing you have to go on, friend. The Word of God is unchangeable. It is unmutable. And it doesn't bend. We bend to it. So the the truth is, base your theological convictions on what the Bible says, not what you wish it would say or what you want it to say, but what it actually says. And what it actually says is the standard. So that's why we are called to use righteous evaluation. We are absolutely given the right to be righteously discerning. But we are never given a license to be a critic, to be a mean-spirited, fill-in-the-blank person who puts preferences out there all the time and asking you to adjust to them so that you can be on my side. Because it's just not the way the body of Christ works. So what do we do with all this? And why would Jesus talk so much about it? I think it's pretty simple. In that crowd that day when he spoke this sermon, there was more than a few critics. And they were pushing people away from God. They were pushing people the other direction because of their hard-heartedness, their arrogance, their condescension. Jesus even said about the Pharisees, he said, you tie up heavy loads on people's backs and they can't stand up under them, but you yourself won't lift a finger to help them. See, we're, we're called to be people that other people love to see coming. You ever been around people that when they were coming, you went, oh, God, help me, Lord Jesus. And you started fasting immediately and, and, you know, and just, you know, we've all got people like that. Maybe I'm that guy for some of you. I don't know. But the same people that make ministry meaningful also make it messy. They do. And if you can give yourself a pass to not ask everybody to come on to your turf all the time, you will not be full of misery. So I 
I was thinking about why this matters so much, and it made me think this morning of a man. My dad, at my dad's golf course, um, there was a bunch, I grew up around men. I mean, rusty, crusty, cranky men. It was awesome. I loved it. They treated me, it was, you know, I was the pro's son, and they never gave me an ounce of backup, and they, you know, they come at me hard all the time. And, and, and many of those dudes were sour, boy. Whew, my gosh, sour some of them were. There was this one guy, and uh, his name was Bobby Welch. And uh, Bobby was about five foot eight, soaking wet. And uh, that means skinny for all of you that are, you know, aren't from Tennessee. Um, and he was, he was a guy that I don't think had ever seen a bad day in his life. And every time he saw me coming, he was probably in his 60s. I was like 13, 14 years old. He was in his late 60s. And no matter how I was hitting the ball or how I was playing, he would say, hey, I saw your scores in the paper. Man, you're doing great. And I'd be like, Mr. Welch, no, I'm not. I'm not. And you know it. No, Jason, you're going to make it. And he would always speak life into me. No matter how he was playing golf or what life was like for him or what, what the, when the world was going on, Mr. Welch was one of those men that when you happened to turn around and you saw him coming, you were like, oh, it was like water on a hot day. It was like hydration when you're dehydrated. You see, the whole point of us having the Jesus life is that there are people that are beat down constantly. And you don't have to endorse their life to love them. In fact, if you want to love them, tell them the truth. But don't ever change how you love them. So that when they see you coming, they want to see it. Because they see Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.